This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Who's got two thumbs, speaks limited Spanish, and wasn't late for the podcast today. It's hombre. <laughs> your, your mic isn't set up again. Oh, son of a bitch. That was a good bit, though. We could redo I'm not it. doing that again. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Phase. Oh man. Better. So much better. Ah, why does it keep doing that? I don't know. Anyway. Hey. Hey, what's happening? Hmm, nothing. What'd you yeah. do this week? Well, I've been messing around on on our fun time yep. iOS goof around project. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Slowly. But mm. I do feel like elite hacksaw. <laughs> Because I'm doing things like using Wireshark and ex- installing X11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. That's, that's about what it takes. <laughs> I don't know what I've been doing all week. I'm thinking about it. I mean, working on that stuff a little bit, but. What's new, uh, you know, outside of work? Just in general? Yeah. What are you doing next week? Thanksgiving, I guess. I guess this will come out the day before Thanksgiving. That's weird. Oh, yeah. Gosh, this banter is like pulling teeth today. Mm-hmm. This is bad. It's really bad. Have you not had your beer yet? Oh, it's right there. <laughs> Jerk. Oh. <What> the, <laughs> way, way to make me sound like some alcoholic. <laughs> oh, it's not like we record at 9 a.m. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't know. It's been a weird week. Like, I never have to do stuff after work, honestly. Like, I just end up going home a lot of times and hanging out. But... Every single day this week, I've had something I had to do, and it's been weird. Like, brother-in-law's birthday on Monday. Tuesday, I spoke in a panel at Babson College. Yeah, how was that? Talk about that. It was good. I don't think there's much to talk about. I think it went well. I kind of ended up dominating the Q&A a little bit. Panels are fun, man. They're super easy. They're so easy. <laughs> Especially the like when it gets to the Q and A part, because it's just like answering very specific questions about very specific things. Well, these were business students, right? Yeah. So they weren't like technical questions. No, it was like questions like, "What are you looking for if someone's coming to you and they want an app built? What exactly are you looking for from them to have ready?" You know, like one one person asked about patents. Like, should I have patents set up? It's like. No, (laughs) like I was like, we don't really care about that. You're that'd be a waste of your time. So stuff like that, telling them what, like if they were to come to ThoughtBot for work, what would we expect them to have ready when they're talking to us Mm -hmm. or not expect, but what would put them in a good position to have ready, you know, which is basically like figure out the problem that you want to solve and figure out how you want to make money off that problem. Yeah. It's basically what I, what I told him, you know, yeah. there was a lot of like, should you, you know, do we have wireframes or what if I don't have a full business plan? I'm like, I don't, wireframes are good, but like, honestly, we we might just throw them away. Like if we bring a designer on board, there's a chance that we're just going to throw your wireframes away and start from scratch, rethinking the problem, especially if we do a design sprint. 
And as far as like the business plan is concerned, it's like I'm not a business guy. Like if you sit me down in a meeting and start showing me charts for your business plan, I'm going to zone out. Like all I care about is how do you expect to make money, not how much money, not any of that stuff, you know, just like are you going to sell it? Are you going to advertise against users? Are you going to wait and try to get bought out by a bigger company? Like that simple. Yeah. That's important to us, but we're not too concerned about that. We're more concerned about solving a problem for your users and then hopefully, you know, that leads to good market fit. But that's kind of on you. The business. So I, what I said to them is that because I do care personally when I'm talking to clients, I do care about their business plan. I do care that they know how they're going to make money. And, and they asked me why. And I was just like, look, it, it doesn't do us any good to work on products that immediately fail or don't go anywhere. Like we don't want to work on failing products. We want to work on successful products because it's better for us. Like this is a completely selfish thing. If we work on products that go nowhere, then yeah, we made some short-term money off that job, but what is it doing for us long-term? Versus if we work on a higher-profile project or a project that becomes very successful, then that's just more advertising for us. You know, and it's just more rewarding on a personal level. Yeah, my my yeah, point yeah, was that yeah. our efforts are in development of products and not necessarily business consulting. Right. We do have our, like our, our growth team, right, which will you know sort of help you out after the, after the fact, right. marketing and obtaining users and whatnot. But it's our time is best spent focusing on creating a good product. That right. said, you know, we will take your business plan into account when we decide to take on a project or not. So there's just a lot of that. You know, it was like there, it was me and three other people on the panel. Fairly good turnout. I think like 50, 60 people or something like that in the room. Maybe more. I don't know. I'm, I didn't like count. But the room, it was like a normal-ish college classroom amphitheater style kind of thing. And it was all like standing room only and that kind of stuff. So I think that went well. And then yesterday we had to move NS Coder because Tony and I, so this is a Thursday that we're recording, and Tony and I are idiots and we both scheduled stuff for tonight under the <laughs> understanding that the other person was going to take care of hosting NS Coder night tonight. And so then we realized that and then had to move NS Coder. So all of a sudden I have like stuff I got to do tonight with my wife and last night was NS Coder. So it's been a busy week. Plus that Carthage thing kind of screwed my whole day up yesterday because it kind of sent me in a spiral. Yeah. I avoided it purposely. Was probably smart. I, was, I wanted to get things done. That was pretty smart because I got basic. I mean, I got a lot of stuff done in terms of, you know, we got Argo set up for Carthage. So Justin Sparse Summers from GitHub released yesterday Carthage, which is kind of a different take on dependency management for iOS and OS X. And the way it works is much lighter weight than CocoaPods, but it also doesn't do as much. You kind of declaratively say, these are my dependencies, and then it can download those dependencies and build those dependencies frameworks. But it's not doing anything special to build a framework. It relies on the Xcode project being there and being set up to build a framework. 
And then Carthage just basically runs a really smart Xcode build against it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you get a framework, and then you just drop that in your project, and you're done, you know? So there's no messing around with project files. I've been kind of thinking of it, and I don't know if this is what they want, but like I keep thinking of it as like a really thin it's, – it's not using Git submodules under the covers – but it operates a lot like Git submodules would if you just did all this manually. So if you either downloaded the dependencies yourself or used Git submodules to bring your dependencies in to the project and then built these frameworks yourself, you would have a very similar outcome at the end of it. Yeah. I think the only better part is that you don't get all the bloat of having all these Xcode projects as subprojects. Um, you yep. just get the compilers. So, yeah, so there's that. And then the other thing that I really like is that I honestly think that much like CocoaPods or RubyGems, you create a cart file, right? C-A-R-T-F-I-L-E. And in there, you can declare your dependencies in a very straightforward way. You just say the source, it's either GitHub or Git. So you can point at any Git repository or any GitHub repository. And that's it. You do that and you can put a version constraint on it if you want, which is very similar to everything else. So you can say like exactly this version or less than this version or greater than this version, that kind of stuff. And then that's all it does. It downloads at that point. It downloads that project, puts it in a special folder inside your repo. So you can either ignore that or check it in builds the frameworks, puts those inside a special folder inside the repo, which again, you can either add or ignore. And like, that's it. But that just that declaratively laying out your dependencies in a way that isn't Git submodules is a big enough abstraction over the concept of Git submodules that it seems like it, it makes a huge difference to me personally. So I don't know. I, I have no idea if I'm going to keep using this. Obviously, I'm a huge CocoaPods fan, have been for a while now, you know. Um, I'm friends with a lot of those guys, and I still think CocoaPods is great, but I'm interested to see how this feels. So we're actually using Carthage on this internal project just to see what it's like, you know. Do we like it more? Do we not like it? That kind of thing. I do like how modern it feels. I like that it uses frameworks. As far as I know, CocoaPods is not capable of producing dot .framework files yeah, yet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The big thing there is that code can't be shared with an extension unless it's in a framework. Mm. You know what I mean? So if you have a dependency, and again, CocoaPods is working on framework support. It's part of their Swift stuff. Is It's going to be building frameworks. I don't know if it's only going to be building frameworks. I don't know if it's going to be doing something like like this is doing, but there will be a some one way or another, you're going to be able to build frameworks with CocoaPods at some point. So the thing I like, the simplicity of it, and the fact that it's basically just a build tool that can look at a file and pull your dependencies in and turn them into frameworks, and then it's up to you to integrate them. I like that, that simplicity there. The burning question for me is um, dependency resolution. How does it work? It doesn't. Yeah, doesn't exist. It builds things. So I don't think it can be done recursively. You know what I mean? So like, for example, 
first off, like this is based on my like I've only known about it for about 24 hours now and I've looked into it and I've used it very little. But so I could be absolutely wrong on some of this stuff. But based on my understanding, like with CocoaPods, what you can do is you can say I have a library and it depends on these other libraries. And so when CocoaPods then downloads your project, then it also downloads those other projects and it links them together when it compiles your bundle. That doesn't happen with Carthage. Instead, you have to bundle everything yourself. And then if you've bundled everything yourself, your framework gets compiled and then that gets, but like if I have a dependency in my framework, I have to have my repo in a position where that code can just be downloaded and built, which means probably checking in. If you have dependencies on other things, I'm not sure if that means that you're going to have to include those frameworks in your project so that they're downloaded with your source code. You know what I mean? Not quite. Let's break this down in real terms. So I have a dependency that is capable of building a dot framework so we can use it with Carthage. Yes. But the code in that framework is depending on AF networking yes. for whatever doing uh, networking. Yeah. It uses AF networking somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now let's assume that AF networking is not set up to build a dot framework. Mm-hmm. You pull that down and you build it. It doesn't create a framework. So I would have to separately specify AF networking in my cart file in order for it to work? Not quite. It's less work on you as the user of the library, theoretically more work on the library maintainer. If AF networking can't build a framework, then you as a library maintainer have to build a framework or include their source code in your project, which is going to be downloaded by Carthage. Carthage downloads exactly one thing, and that's just the Git repo that you tell it to download. You know what I mean? So there's nothing comparable to a pod spec for Carthage. Um all Carthage knows about is Git and Xcode projects. That's it. So your framework that you're trying to distribute has to be able to be downloaded and then compiled. Got it. So that dependency in making it available to Carthage would have to have AF networking included directly in the project in some way. Whether it's through a framework or whether it's through you know, just having the code in there or something but yes that has to happen got it that's my understanding anyway because i know that i know that carthage just at least right now it doesn't do dependency resolution it just does version resolution so you're able to specify a version like i said this is just it's basically get sub modules with a nicer wrapper around it you know Mm mm-hmm and that's good thing and bad thing. It's good thing because it's a very simple concept to understand. You know, the bad thing is that it's not as clean, and I don't think it's ever going, quote unquote, clean, right? But it's not as simple as CocoaPods is going to be. It's not as simple as just put some text in a file and then run a command and it's done. Put some text in a file, run a command, drop a framework in, and then if you're a library maintainer. So I'm torn on this part about it being more work on a library maintainer because 
I can't help but think that it's probably best. Like, yes, we in all of our projects we recommend using CocoaPods, but how hard is it really to just dump those source code files in a framework? You know what I mean? That's not that much work. Resolving the dependencies might be a little more work. Maybe that means if we want to use CocoaPods for developing the library, we just check in the pods with the source code. You know, you could do it that way. Or if you use Carthage for developing. So like in that example, I'm building a library. My library depends on AF networking. We'll assume AF networking can build a framework. I use Carthage to bring that dependency in. And then I just check in that framework, right? I don't ignore the build folder, Carthage's mm. build folder. So I just I just make sure that that's always there. So I'm including these frameworks that I've compiled so that you can just download my project and build it. The thing is, that's also going to be necessary for CI because continuous integration servers, right now there's an open issue and we're talking about it, but there's no way to install Carthage from the command line. You have to download a package installer and install it through the GUI, which means that there's no way to install it on a CI server. Mm-hmm. Which means that if we're back to having to check things in, whether it's the frameworks or the source code or whatever, we're back to having to ch- check things in in order to be able to compile. Which again is pros and cons. Like all these things are just trade offs. You know what I mean? No- nothing that I've said so far is a deal breaker or a deal maker for either one of these libraries, in my opinion. Like the linking thing, like linking a framework in, you know, it only happens once when you first. Br- so the way the way I set this project up, Carthage has two folders when it builds stuff, right? It builds it to a Carthage.build and then it downloads everything to a Carthage.checkout. And so either one of those can be ignored. I'm ignoring both of them. But when I link in the frameworks into the project, I'm not copying them out of the build folder. I'm just linking them directly to the build folder, which means that all you have to do when you download a new project is do Carthage build. It means that I can't, I don't have to have those dependencies in. And all you have to do when you like in the bin setup script, it just does Carthage build, which will look at the lock file, download all the dependencies in the lock file and then build them if they're not already downloaded. And because I'm not moving those files out of the build folder, it means that you just do that and now they're gonna be there when Xcode starts up and looks Mm -hmm. for them, you know? But it also means that if I change my version, if I go from AF Networking 1 to AF Networking 2, I just change that in the, the cart file and do Carthage update, it builds that framework, puts it in the same place, and I don't have to do any more linking. You know what I mean? That framework is just updated in Xcode. So it's only that first time that that, that becomes an issue. Okay. And it, it's, it seems like the manual linking is one of the tenets of Carthage that's not going to change. Yeah, I think so. I, and I don't think – so I don't want to speak for these guys. But from the outside – it looks like the one of the big – so the two big ideas here are, one, I think anyone on the CocoaPods team would tell you this. Everything I've seen about CocoaPods source code tells me this. Working with Liftoff has told me this. 
dealing with Xcode project files is an absolute freaking nightmare. 100%, it's the worst part of any of this stuff, right? It is the worst part of liftoff. All that code that has to be there, we're using Xcode Proj, which is the same gem that CocoaPods uses to do project file manipulation and creation and stuff. We're using that same that same library. So we have a common code base there with CocoaPods. And it's just a nightmare, you know what I mean? These these project files are completely undocumented. There's no public API to creating these things or manipulating these things. It's all based on wacky proprietary XML-ish kind of stuff. It sucks. It really sucks. I 100% understand, you know, the Carthage team's inclination to just be like, let's just not do that. You know what I mean? Like, that's just miserable to deal with. So if it's a matter of them having to do all that project file manipulation and stuff versus just once just dragging a thing in, you know what I mean? Because of the other concepts that they brought to this, that doesn't seem like a big enough reason for them to want to screw around and automate that process and for them to want to start screwing around with project files. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a big problem with a very, very small benefit because it's not like you have to do anything else here. It's not like there are other steps involved. It's a framework, you know, and now that iOS has support for frameworks, it's easy. This is harder, obviously, when they we didn't have actual frameworks and so you had these uh, other things and you had to do compiler flags and all this crap to get stuff to work right. That's my next question. So using frameworks solves the problem that CocoaPod solved where when you're using static libraries, there are different compiler flags that you had to set in order to get it to work. You know, there, there are times where it just wouldn't compile until you put in like the OBJC right. flag or the all load flag. Right. Frameworks right. fixes that? I think so. As far as I know, that's part of the point of frameworks is that they're just drag and drop kind of things. I'm bad at this stuff. Like, I, I'm not I'm not great at like build systems and all that stuff. You know what I mean? This isn't this isn't really a part of my expertise. And it's honestly it's something that I actively avoid just because it scares the living shit out of me. Um like I brought nimble and quick. You know what I mean? I was able to bring those into this project through Carthage and I didn't have to set any compiler flags for those. I was able to build Argo. Uh we got that set up so that it's building a static library in the right way. Which, by the way, the right way was just I just needed to share my all the entire change log for getting Argo to work on Carthage was sharing the scheme, so it was literally just a checkbox. But so once I got that done, I was able to use Argo with Carthage and just drop it in, and it all compiled and it worked. So I think that stuff is was there for static libraries, not for dynamic libraries or frameworks, rather, not libraries. Um, that's one thing that's, so that's why I think you have to do the manual drag and drop manual linking, whatever you want to say. That's my assumption as to why you want to do that. The big thing, I think the big thing for Carthage is developing libraries now is done the same way as you do everything else in Xcode. So like I said, there's no cart spec. You know what I mean? There's nothing like a pod spec. At no point do I have to say these source files and these source files and these source files. You know what I mean? 
And yep. like, I never have to write another, like a Ruby file or even a JSON file that tells something what files to grab and, you know, random things to do and whatever. All I do, literally all I do is I have a Xcode project and that project has a framework target and I set that up the way I normally would. And because of that, it feel it makes it feel like stuff that we should be doing anyway. We've done this a few times where we've written frameworks where we're not really sure what to do in the Xcode project, right? Like you have to have these files linked into something because you want to make sure that they compile, you know? And so we end up just like linking them into a testing bundle, I guess. But when we're doing that, we're actually kind of leaving – we're not leaving them in a lurch. But wouldn't it be nicer even for people that do want to use Git submodules to just have it – have that framework as a target? And so that then if you want to get – if you use Git submodules, you can just pull the project in and link against the framework and you're done. Or if you're using Carthage, you can just run Carthage and just drop in the framework and you're done. You know, And that doesn't preclude – using CocoaPods where you can say, you know, here are the files and then CocoaPods users can still do that. You literally covered all three of your bases and it's not a whole lot of work. The thing is there is an added benefit. I know that the reactive Cocoa guys, which happen to be the same guys as the Carthage guys, but you know, the, the people that work on reactive Cocoa have run into issues where people have been asking like, why doesn't this thing work when I do this? And they go, that's not supposed to be a public class. You're not supposed to use that. That's not part of the public interface for the framework. How did you even get to that? And it's like, oh, well, I installed it through CocoaPods. And and so it exposed this header publicly that shouldn't have been exposed publicly. So now, now they have to go into the pod spec file and manage that visibility, the public interface for their framework in the pod spec file when they're already doing that through the framework because frameworks already have this public-private header thing that you can set. You know what I mean? You can expose everything is public by default, but you can pull headers out of what you're exporting for the framework. So I, I totally get why that's frustrating to them to have that happen or that their, their code is built in a way that they didn't intend for it to be built, you know? Yeah. And now they got to go in and they got to add stuff to this podspec file when it's like, I'm already setting that stuff in the Xcode project. So again, it's just duplication. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had never realized that was an issue. I mean, if you think about it, you no, know, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I had never heard of that happening. I think I, I saw like one or two things on the reactive cocoa repo flyby that were about that kind of thing. And I think there are ways to do that in CocoaPods. In a pod spec. But, but again, the point here isn't that CocoaPods has features or has deficiencies in this regard. The point is that because of choices that were made, not that there were bad choices, but because of choices that were made, you end up having to duplicate that information in multiple places if you want to support other installation methods. And I totally get that that's frustrating. The last kind of big thing for me with Carthage that makes me interested in it is the fact that the whole thing is written in Swift and Objective-C, like he uses some Objective-C libraries. But the core of Carthage is all in Swift. 
That's interesting to me for a number of reasons. One, there is an actual compiled CLI executable on my machine written in Swift. You know, that just makes me happy <laughs> for a number of reasons. I'm very excited about, I talked to Justin yesterday on Twitter briefly about like, hey, how about extracting the CLI portions of Carthage out into a new thing like that is interesting to me i've been talking about wanting to move liftoff to swift for months now basically since swift was announced that's been a thing that i've been interested in doing but obviously you're going to run into that big problem of oh it's a command line app now i got to write a cli parser it's like god damn it i just don't want to do that i will work on one i will improve one that i like and there are stuff out there and they're all great but none of them work exactly the way i want them to work and so this feels like like looking through his code i'm like this is cool like this is this feels generic and cool and feels like something that i can take and we can work on you know so the fact that like it gives me hope for one day moving liftoff to swift and then my other just kind of like you know, nerd out about having an actual command line app written in Swift running on my machine and working. And then the big, big, big thing for me is that because it is in Swift, it means that all of a sudden our entire team can contribute back to it. If our team comes up with the thing or finds a significant bug in CocoaPods, really it's like, me or Keith, not counting the Ruby folks, but I'm just talking about the iOS team. It's going to be like me or Keith working on that. That's a third of the team that has ability to, and that's a great ratio. You know what I mean? How many iOS developers or Objective-C developers or Swift developers do you know that really just know Ruby well enough to dig through CocoaPods source code? It's like not many. The fact that we have two out of six here is kind of amazing. All of a sudden, it, now that it's in Swift, the people that use the tool can contribute back to the tool. And that feels really important to me. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it feels like more of an opportunity for us to get involved, all of us to get involved in a something that we enjoy using, assuming we enjoy using it. I've been looking at the code. But it uses Reactive Cocoa, so it's like an order of magnitude more complicated yeah. for me to understand than it could be. Yeah. I mean, I still haven't taken that plunge into Reactive Cocoa, although this is using an early version of the Reactive Cocoa Swift interface, I guess, which makes it interesting for yet another reason, you know. But the FRP stuff, you can get around. You really can. Like you're going to comprehend more of that code than you are anywhere in CocoaPods. True. You know, because at least you have that base language lock knowledge. And even not just you, just I think anybody, you know what I mean? You're like, yes, it has reactive cocoa. Yes, that's a barrier to entry. Swift itself is a barrier to entry. Now reactive cocoa is, is another. But it's a manageable barrier to entry. Not that it's something that I think we should be learning anyway, Reactive Cocoa, but I don't think it's crazy to say like a familiarity, at least a passing familiarity with Reactive Cocoa would probably serve you well in the long term, especially if you're in a position where it could be something that you run into. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just that I'm still not totally proficient in Swift and trying to grok both. 
is hard. Is not is, is hard. Yeah. I, so I wouldn't say that Carthage is a easy first step into Swift. I think there are other things that you could do in Swift to get a basic, you know, get your head wrapped around Swift, and then maybe Carthage does turn out to be a good place to look at Swift and Reactive Cocoa and how they work together and FRP in terms of a command line application. You know what I mean? It has a very specific thing. But again, the bottom line here is that there isn't a context switch that has to happen for you to contribute back to a tool that you use. Right. Yeah, that, that part is great. And I know the CocoaPods guys, I keep saying guys, CocoaPods people, that team, I've heard a number of times, you know, well, we don't necessarily want Ruby to be the language for CocoaPods, that they don't necessarily want CocoaPods to be written in Ruby long term. Which, cool, you know what I mean? Like that sounds like, uh, yeah, like if but, they're if they're looking for the same thing that I'm talking about, then that's admirable. You know what I mean? If they recognize that as a deficiency of Cocoa Pods, and that's great. That wor- it worries me though. I I don't see that happening. No, I don't either. It's got too much momentum. They, uh, I would right, love to that, be proven wrong. You know. According to them, you know, it's not even production ready because it's not 1.0. And I don't see them switching languages before they hit 1.0. No. So I don't believe that that is in the near future at all. It'd be great to be wrong about that. But, like, I can't imagine taking that on. I can't imagine rewriting that. It's gigantic. CocoaPods is enormous what it's doing. And especially now it has some very deep hooks into Ruby that would have to be completely rethought. The whole dependency resolution stuff is on a shared code base now, which is a library that I can't... It just shipped. They just shipped this code. So the dependency resolution, I think, is shared with Bundler, which is actually really kind of cool that two things that do the same basic concept across two different platforms are sharing a common code base to come to a specific goal. Like, that's awesome to me. But, like, you're not going to get to that from Swift... So are you going to back, you know, you just finished that. Are you going to back out and do that in Swift? I don't see that happening. We've talked about how Xcode Proj is central to what they're doing. And that's going to be a nightmare or impossible to rewrite in Swift. I have no idea. It could be either or both. So I don't know. I'm like conflicted on all of this. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I've said on the show before that – I really like CocoaPods, but at the end of the day, I like it because it's what's available. And, like, I'm not going to be dogmatic about CocoaPods for the sake of being dogmatic about CocoaPods. That has nothing to do with CocoaPods. I just don't think anyone should be dogmatic about anything for the sake of being dogmatic about that thing. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I want I want reasons to use things. I want to use the best thing. I think I've said before that... I would love it if stuff like tools and stuff that I write get Sherlocked by Apple. You know what I mean? Like if tomorrow morning Apple came out with a tool that did Xcode project generation from the command line and let you configure them with config files so that you can have a consistent experience for that stuff, I would jump for joy like i love liftoff like i've poured so much time into this tool tons of just so many hours i've worked on liftoff if i didn't have to deal with it anymore it would be one less thing on my plate and i'd have other stuff i could worry about 
know what I mean? That would be great, especially if it was better. Like, it'd have to be better than what we have now. But if they did that, I would switch. I would stop using Liftoff. I would start using whatever Apple provided. Be- yeah, I'm with you. Because cause I'm not going to sit here and be dogmatic about a tool just because I wrote it, just because I have a, mis- you know, a sentimental attachment to it. You know? So if I'm going to do that with my own stuff, I would expect to do that with other people's stuff too. I don't know. What do you think? It comes down to what you just said. I want to use the best thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not beholden to anything but the best thing. Right. Hopefully I got that stuff right. I have no idea. I could be totally off base. But it's such it sounded a, right. It did sound right. It's such a simple tool. Like It's easy to kind of grok what it's doing. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm intrigued by it. This is kind of one of those places where I'm not sure if competition is necessarily good. You know, like competition in a free market thing is great because you want to have competition between like Apple and Google, you know, and you want Android phones to be as good as they can be so that Apple has to make iPhones as good as they can be. You know what I mean? The only thing I'm really nervous about is, and I don't think it's necessarily needs to happen. Um, the thing I would be nervous about here is a split between these projects support CocoaPods, these projects support Carthage. That would be my concern. Mm-hmm. You know, I have the same concern. I think the fact that Carthage is taking a completely different tact with this and not doing like a central repository of spec files and it isn't necessarily a whole second thing that you have to maintain i think that's going to mitigate the split i think it's an easy enough sell to say just throw the stuff that you're writing right there just throw that in a framework and you're done Mm -hmm. for the most part you know what i mean like that's but that's basically all you have to do you may have to do some cleanup like i was looking at a project today that I actually didn't use CocoaPods either, so it wasn't well thought out distribution-wise. Anyway, but like it had everything in one folder, and then it, had, it did have an Xcode project, but the Xcode project was building the sample app. So I started looking into like, okay, well, what's that going to take? So that would mean if I want to move this over so that it supports Carthage and CocoaPods, that means what I probably want to do is I want to split out the source files into a source folder. That way it's easy to go into GitHub and browse the source, right? And then I want to move the sample project into a sample folder and all the app delegate stuff, view controller stuff related to it. And then I would have a root level project that just builds the framework. And I would have both the sample app and the root level project pointing to the source repo. And then I'd have a pod spec that says the files are in the source folder. That's literally from zero to everything. I didn't end up doing it because I was kind of like iffy on the project anyway. So I didn't want to spend a bunch of time when I'm not sure I want to use it. But that was like from zero, like no no thought about distribution at all to we now support everything available, even get submodules. And it didn't seem like that much work. A little repo reorganization, you know, another project file. That's it. So it seems easy enough to support both that I don't think that there's going to be a split, but it still is something that makes me nervous because I'd really hate for there to be 
any kind of fight about Carthage versus Cocopods because it's such a stupid thing to fight about. They're going to fight about it. Oh, I know they are. And I'm going to get pissed off. <laughs> but I just really think it's – I don't think it's worth anyone's time to fight about this kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's the internet. I know. Twitter unfollows are coming. They are inevitable. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, wrap it up. Yeah. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 65. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I got to grab lunch. All right. See you. All right. Later. <laughs>